Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome to episode one of The Canadian Investor. Today we're going to talk about the different investment vehicles that you can get in Canada, uh, particularly the TFSA, the Tax-Free Savings Account, and the RRSP. Um, There's also the RESP and a taxable non-registered account, but we're going to really focus on the two most important ones for Canadian investors, which are the TFSA and the RRSP, which stands for Registered Retirement Savings Plan. And um, I'm going to start off by discussing the TFSA, the tax-free savings account. Um, The TFSA is an awesome vehicle and where I tell most people to start. And the reason for that is because you are going to get tax-free capital gains over the long term compared to tax implications um, later when you withdraw on your funds in an RSP. So we can dive more into that. The TFSA has a contribution limit, uh, as of recording this in 2019, of $6,000 a year. So every year, you are allowed to contribute $6,000 into this account. And on your CRA My Account, you can see what you've already contributed, which is a very handy tool to make sure you don't over-contribute. And the big, here's the, the awesome part about the TFSA, is that you can catch up on previous years. So this year, 6,000, last year, 5,500, the previous year, 5,500. And then in previous years, under the Harper administration, you could contribute $10,000. So you can contribute all the way back to years of its existence since you were the age of 18. Um, That is it in a nutshell. Simon, do you have any comments on the TFSA in particular? Yeah, so the TFSA is a really awesome tool, and I think it's not really understood by a lot of people. A lot of people, and I get this at work when I explain it to to them, is they they have this conception that a TFSA is actual savings account. But like uh, Braden mentioned, it can be used for a variety of investment, whether it's specific companies, whether um, it's ETFs, uh, mutual funds even, and we can dive in a bit later on on those. But it's a great saving vehicle, and it's really ideal for people that – you know, either have a low taxable income right now or uh, when they do retire and they, for example, have a great pension, well, they have that extra income that's tax-free. So it's a great vehicle for that. The one caution I would mention that people tend to forget, especially for those who are already pretty close to their contribution limit, if ever you withdraw money, just be careful because the uh, contribution room, you'll get it back the following year, so you won't get it back that same year. And that's a that could be a pretty costly mistake if you over contribute yeah absolutely and the nice part about that is if you make gains that is going to add to your contribution limit the next year as i believe which is pretty great yeah, in terms of gains, so it doesn't impact your contribution limit. However, if you withdraw it and those gains you withdrew, uh, for example, you had awesome returns, you have 100000 you withdraw it, and then the following year you'll get the 100000 You have the 100000 right. So yeah, in that yeah. sense, you get your 
yeah, that's really handy. But yeah, good point because it doesn't reset until the following year. And I love how you brought up how it's so misunderstood. Oh my God, this account is so misunderstood. The amount of people that think it's a great place to park cash is uh, astounding because this isn't a, ve a vehicle you should be focusing on compounding your wealth in because there's no tax. Um, you're going to pay tax on your income, of course, um, but then the tax man is staying away from it uh, forever after that point. So that's why that account is so valuable. Um, I have actually, I remember when I was first starting to invest and understanding that the TFSA was really misunderstood. I was like inquiring to CRA about changing the name to TFIA, <laughs> tax-free investment account. And every time I tell people that, they're like, oh, that's a great idea. It's so, it's like the easiest change ever. And the amount of people that would benefit from changing it to TFIA, I think would be like pretty substantial. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I see at, uh, you know, I work in the pension and retirement and I actually work in a financial institution and the amount of people that still like get surprised when I tell them that you can hold different uh, equities, different companies in there. Um, it's kind of astonishing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we move on to the RSP, uh, it is important to mention, this is very important, actually, that you will get withholding tax you will trigger withholding tax on U.S. equities or international equities for that matter if you hold them in a TFSA. So if you're holding U.S. stocks or international stocks abroad, you want to hold those in an RRSP um, because the U.S., for instance, recognizes the RRSP as an retirement account and yep. waives withholding tax. So that is important to note. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So just keep that in mind. I mean, it's allowed to have uh, in U.S. investments in it, but you will have that withholding tax. So just keep that in mind if you do put uh, uh, U.S. stocks, for example, in your TFSA. I was reading an article on that, and you can con you can think of that withholding tax uh, for most like dividend-paying stocks because that's where you're going to trigger it. Yeah. Think of it as like a 0.6% like management fee or like that's usually a good rule of thumb, 0.6%, if you do want to hold them in a TFSA. Mm -hmm. oh, I never thought about it that way, but that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, do you want to kick off the RSP? Because I know you're uh, a whiz with these accounts. Yeah, so our RSPs, uh, or short, people will hear RSP. It's, it's all the same thing. Uh, so it's a registered uh, retirement savings uh, plan. And really, the advantage of an RSP, you typically, like, want to contribute to an RSP when you're in your earning years, you have a high income with the purpose of starting to withdraw the money when you're retiring or your income is lower, therefore your income tax bracket will be lower. So any gains that you make in the RSP is actually tax-free. You get taxed when you start withdrawing it and it adds into your income. So that's the whole uh, thing about the tax bracket and how it works for the, um, for the RSP. Um, RSP, the main difference uh, with the TFSA. So the TFSA is uh, you put money in there that's already been taxed and any gains are tax-free. The RSP is actually the opposite of that. So you put uh, money in there that 
is pre-tax um, or obviously for a lot of people what they'll do is they'll get tax on that money they'll put in their RSP and then when they do their uh, income tax uh, report to the CRA they'll actually get the tax credit uh, back so there's a couple different varieties for RSP so there's a locked-in variety and there's a non-locked-in variety so the non-locked-in that's probably what people are most familiar with uh, the non-locked-in variety you can actually withdraw the funds whenever you want you don't have to be uh, retired you just have to keep in mind that it adds into your income so you'll be taxed on it the banks are required to or a financial institution are required to um, take off a withholding tax but it's usually not enough so you tend to have to put more money aside when you do withdraw it um, the RSP really, you have to be careful. If you start withdrawing money, you actually lose that contribution room for good. So it's not like the TFSA where you actually gain it uh, the following year. Um, and then we get into the whole locked-in RSP or there's also a locked-in retirement account. Without going into too much detail, they're very similar. It just depends. Um, basically those are associated with funds that were in a pension plan. So it really depends if your pension plan was provincially legislated or federally legislated. The main thing about those is they're locked in. So it says in the name, uh, it's like an RSP, but you can only withdraw the funds when you're retired. So that's the gist of it. If you have certain, uh, the CRA does give provision for hardship, but it's very specific situations. So uh, you won't be able to withdraw those funds as you wish, you'll have to be retired. Mm, yes. And at the age of 72, is it right now that it converts to a RIF? Uh, so it's actually December uh, of the year in which you turn 71. Okay. So, yeah, very, very, so, very yeah. close. Yeah. We'll call it yeah, 72. Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK, yeah. So those details are important. But yeah, so 72, then you turn it into a RIF and then you are forced to withdraw on it every yeah, year. And like you said, Braden, it's a great vehicle for those who um, especially don't have a pension plan. Uh, so it's a great vehicle for those because your income is going to be lower uh, when you do retire. And just as a side note, the TFSA is tax free, so it does not add to your taxable income. Uh, but it's also a great vehicle if you want to uh, invest in U.S. companies, for example, then that actual that dividend you were talking about, the uh, U.S. withholding tax, um, it it's not applied anymore, so you get the full dividend. Obviously, you'll get tax when you uh, withdraw from your RSP. Yeah, perfect. So I think the easiest way to understand the RSP for our listeners is going through a couple examples. Uh, we'll just make up some fake, fake examples. So I tell people with the RSP is that, yes, you probably should have one, but sometimes you shouldn't. Um, there's a couple that you can also over contribute to it, um, which is going to force yourself into a high tax bracket when you're retiring. Um, so that kind of defeats the whole purpose. Um, <laughs> but OK, let's go through some scenarios. So if I am working at a company that has an RRSP matching program, then that is a good idea. However, do you see often that you lose control of what you're investing in if you are going into the RSP matching program. 
Yeah, so most of the RSP matching program, there are some programs that are done to actually match RSP, but most programs are actually be set up a bit more as a pension, so a defined contribution pension where the employer will match. Um, you do lose some control typically, so they'll give you a list of investments. Um, it can be anywhere between uh, 10 and 20 uh, different type of investment that you can choose from. They're not always the best, so you could lose some control over there. My reasoning behind it is, uh, especially if you're getting a one for one match so your employer will say they'll uh, you know the first five thousand dollars that you contribute uh, will match five thousand dollars so one for one um, to me everyone should do that it's free money um, so you're basically getting you know guaranteed you know <laughs> almost guaranteed returns just on the match. Obviously, there could be some market uh, swings and downturns and so on. But to me, that's a no-brainer. Beyond the match, then I think there might be some more discussion whether that's worth it or not. Yeah, exactly. Because you do, I mean, the whole goal of this podcast is to educate listeners on managing their own portfolio so that they don't have to pay um, the highest fees in the world in Canada, unfortunately. Um, so this is like one of those tricky situations where you're going to lose control and in that case probably be thrown into a high fee management structure on your money. But at the same time, it's like how do you say no to an instant 100% return? So that would be a case where you would definitely want to use it, although <laughs> it might kill you inside to have to uh, pay high management fees. But uh, that's – I mean it, it is free money. Yeah, and if we get more questions, and that's a whole goal, we want to get people engaged in this. So if we have enough questions about like pension, whether it's defined contribution, defined benefit, um, I know that space really well. That's what I do. Um, I'd be more than happy to even uh, like do an episode with you where we kind of answer people's question regarding their pension plans, a bit what they offer. Even if people want to share some of the investment, we can kind of give us uh, give our take on that. So if there's enough demand for it, we could even do an episode at some point that will solely focus on that yeah absolutely um we can definitely consider that okay let's jump through one more uh situation with the rsp which would be back on that same topic of a pension so say i am a government employee have some awesome pension plan and i see myself working there for the next 35 years i'm going to match out the max out the pension um, and then in my retirement years, I also have this RRSP and would you look at that, I'm in the highest tax bracket because of this pension and withdrawing on my RRSP. So in that case, um, is there, what, what would you say the strategy is there? And I'll give my quick take on that is you kind of have to do the math on uh, what the most advantageous thing to do would be, have a little bit of an RRSP, max out your TFSA, and then actually look at a taxable account because that you're going to get taxed along the way, but it might make sense in your case because you are in such a high, high tax bracket when you are withdrawing on the funds. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, there's other consideration too. Um, I won't go into detail, but uh, depending how high your income will be when you're retired, you could even lose money based on old age security benefits because it actually claws back at a certain level. I think it's in the 70s, uh, 70 thousands or so. I don't have the exact level in front of me, but that's one of the drawbacks. I totally agree with uh, Braden on that. If you have a very generous pension, uh, most likely the TFSA and then a taxable account is probably your best bet. Yeah. Okay. 
Perfect. Um, so I think both of those, uh, yeah, those are the most important accounts for sure. So in summary, a TFSA is kind of like, yes, everyone should have one. Uh, this is a great start. There is a limit to how much you can contribute every year, but you can catch up and you are going to pay tax on your income as it comes off your, your paycheck every whatever, <laughs> every two weeks, every month, whatever it is. Um, and then after that, you're going to let it grow and compound completely tax-free. However, do not, or <laughs> well, you can, but be aware of the withholding tax on international listed, listed stocks. So the U.S. stocks, for instance, um, there will be a withholding tax. I have seen a rule of thumb of around 0.6. Uh, percent to think about that as a withholding tax. Do you want to give a quick summary on the RSP? Yeah, the RSP is really, uh, it's a perfect vehicle, especially if you're a high earner right now and you will not be as earning as much money when you do retire. So that's really when the RSP is the most advantageous. So lowering your taxable income now for the future and taking advantage of your lower taxable income when you retire. Um, you know, nothing prevents you from combining, you know, some money in a TFSA and an RSP, but that's generally the rule of thumb. And uh, one situation that I think uh, is great for a TFSA, not the RSP, but uh, if we have some young listeners, uh, for those of you who have are not making that much money, but have a little money aside when you're younger, uh, usually you don't pay a lot of taxes, especially if you're going to school. So uh, for uh, the young listeners, the TFSA would definitely be the way to go. Awesome. Uh, so I think that's a good summary of those two accounts. Um, we're going to do something now, part of the show that we'd like to do every single episode with customer uh, customers, <laughs> listeners requesting certain stocks that are listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange or in Canada. Um, we're going to start with this one. CN Rail, Canadian National Railway, ticker CNR. Uh, the stock is obviously a railway stock. It's been a good performer over the last five years, up 52%. It's an $84 billion market cap. Um, so it is, a, in the scheme of things in Canada, this would be considered a mega cap, one of the biggest companies in the entire country. It has a dividend yield of 1.83%, but uh, people own this one for its dividend growth. It is a proven dividend aristocrat. Um, over the last five years, it has had over 15% dividend growth, um, which is awesome. Like that's Those are numbers you want to see if you're a dividend growth investor. Um, what kind of numbers are you seeing on this one? There, Simon. Yeah, so there's a lot of things to uh, to like about uh, Canadian National Rail. Um, I'm familiar with that company. Full disclosure, I do own it, um, so I think it's a great company. Uh, before looking at some of the numbers, one a few things that I love about uh, Canadian National Rail is its moat. So for those of you not familiar with what a moat is, is really a barrier to entry. So it's very difficult for competitors to come in. Uh, the reason for that, Canadian National Rail is uh, has a railway from east to west. West Coast Canada also goes all the way to the Gulf uh, of Mexico. So it has the three coasts. So that's a big uh, competitive advantage for them. Very hard for competitors to come in and especially building a railway is 
requires a lot of approval, a lot of capital intensive and so on. So it's a great company from that perspective. From a pure uh, number uh, standpoint, usually I think uh, Braden will look at these numbers as well. So we'll look at the uh, price to earnings ratio. Um, the price to earnings is pretty much another synonym to earnings is profits, uh, net profits. Um, so what price am I paying uh, for the company compared to its profits. So right now, uh, CN Rail is around 1920 uh, from uh, Morningstar data. Uh, in terms of other metrics that we'll look at for this type of company, you could also look at the price to cash flow. Uh, cash flow is really the money that's coming in and out. So it's not always the same as the price to earnings and um, without going too much into detail. Um, in terms of some of the other metrics, there's the price to book as well. So the price to book, you're just taking the uh, net asset and you're comparing that to the uh, price of the company. And the net assets, you just take the assets of the company, you subtract the liabilities, and then you compare that to the price. You have anything to add, Braden? Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk about some of the numbers on in terms of why I would own the stock and some things to also uh, be aware of. So as as we talked about, this stock is 86 billion in market cap. So it's it's a massive massive one. Uh, trading at 20 times earnings, as you just mentioned, um, with a almost two percent yield. So you're gonna own this one for its dividend growth over the last 10 years. It's been a proven dividend aristocrat. Um, and the thing about this stock is it has a very, very high return on equity and return on invested capital. So management is able to take shareholders' money, in theory, and invest it at a very high rate of return, which is definitely what you want to see from any business. I'm um, just looking at its five years earnings growth. It's averaged around 13%. Um, and the top line... Uh, around 6%, nothing crazy there. Um, but if you look at the five-year dividend growth is around 15% a year. Every year, they're increasing that payout and keeping a low payout ratio. So what's important about the payout ratio is essentially what it is, is all the dividends that are paid out over the year um, divided by all the net profits made by the company that year and that'll give you the payout ratio. So CN Rail is paying out 33% of earnings over the last 12 months, the last four quarters. And that's that's a safe number. Um, if you start getting over, well, in theory, let's talk about if it's over 100%, that means that the dividend is probably not sustainable as they are paying out more to shareholders than they can actually afford. So they're, they're having to burn cash to pay the dividend. Um, in terms of stratosphere, like I have a, a quant score here, CN Rail scores 221, um, which is about middle of the pack. And the reason for that is the 20, uh, the 20 times earnings for uh, limited revenue growth uh, doesn't score that high. That being said, you own this because it is a workhorse in the not only Canadian but um, North American economy. Uh, it's safe and it is going to keep appreciating that dividend for a long time i don't see any risk of the dividend stopping its uh, uh, status as a dividend aristocrat which by the way we should have an episode on um do you have any more to add to that 
Yeah, I think those are all great points. Uh, one other thing, I love the payout ratio. Um, that really gives you a bit more um, certainty in terms of the dividend. I personally like to look at the payout ratio compared to the free cash flow. Um, that's always a good indicator, I find, as well. Uh, it's a different way to look at it. The free cash flow, for those who are not familiar with, um, you can look at the cash flow statement of a company, and you essentially uh, look at the net cash provided by operating activities, and you just subtract the capital expenditures. What is capital expenditure is what the uh, company is making in investments, whether it's building, whether it's buying locomotives for a company like Canadian National Rail. So you subtract that and whatever is left is the free cash flow. And then you just simply compare the dividend uh, to the free cash flow. And just looking at it, uh, all like eyeballing it, it's about 50, 55 percent of the free cash flow, which is very good. Um, so the dividend is definitely safe and there's room to grow it in the future. Uh, one little cautionary tell I would say about Canadian National Rail is typically it's, um, it's very tied to the Canadian economy. So they'll do very well when the economy is doing well, but it'll be not doing as well, um, not necessarily bad, but if there's a bit of a recession, um, you may see it in the numbers of Canadian National Rail. So that's why it's really important, and I think Braden uh, shares this, to really, if you buy these type of companies, just to buy them for the long term, not one year, not two years, I would say five, ten, or as Warren Buffett would say, you know, forever is his favorite uh, holding period. Yeah, you bring up a good point, how, how it is tied to the economy. Um, I don't own the stock. I wish I have because it's been nice to dividend growth investors. Um, that being said, my investment thesis on it right now is still kind of what it was before was, um, yes, this extremely high return on invested capital uh, dividend aristocrat is very solid. Um, I think 20 times earnings for a company that's kind of cyclical um, in its performance is expensive. Um, it's, not, it's not so bad given it's proven performance um, with their financial statements, but that's kind of my thesis on it right now. And it's kind of been that for years now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I actually have it on my radar to add more to my position uh, as it becomes cheaper. So I did buy it when uh, the P ratio and even the price to cash flow um, was much cheaper. So I have it on my radar. I think it's a great business, but um, I think I, as again, Warren Buffett would say, I think his favorite thing to do is buy um, a wonderful business at a fair price. So that's that's kind of the reasoning I have for Canadian National Rail. Uh, once the price gets a, a bit fairer, I'll definitely uh, add more to my position. Yeah, and it's down a l almost 8% off its high this year, um, which is along with a lot of other stocks similar to CN in this space so could be a time to grab it on the pullback I believe it was trading at like 30 times earnings like earlier in the year or maybe that was CP can't remember but, I think uh, it was CP CP was always uh, quite over like not overvalued but a bit more of a premium to it um, I got it when it was about uh, 14 15 times earnings um, oh, around nice. the, uh, the pullback in December so I started a position back then yeah, I I think for a stock like this, um, to to look at something that I think is undervalued potentially in this space would be the trucking company TFI International. Uh, it's a two billion market cap company that I uh, 
love to talk about how good they are at acquiring some struggling assets uh, in the trucking industry, integrating them and making them very profitable. And they're also um, approaching that dividend aristocrat, dividend growth, uh, very similar metrics, but at half the valuation. Um, so uh, some, something to be considered, uh, another stock to consider if you're looking at CN Rail would be uh, ticker TFI. Uh, it is not a railway, but it's a trucking business. Yeah, I'll definitely put that on my radar. <laughs> That's about a two billion, so you're out of the range of a lot of, uh, we'll call it big, <laughs> smart money. Uh, yeah. They they limit themselves to two billion or ten billion, whatever they are, um, based on liquidity requirements. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's a good space to be in is that mid cap market um, if you're a DIY investor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, any more to add to this one? No, I think that goes over it. Uh, definitely when we look at other companies, uh, we'll dive into a bit more of the nitty gritty. I think it's a good overview. Just uh, give people a bit of an idea what we kind of look uh, after when we're looking to investing in businesses. Um, but no, I think we kind of covered most of it. All right, perfect. So this episode and always, uh, you can go to getstockmarket.com. That is getstockmarket.com, and you're going to find a list of, uh, including CN Rail and TFI that we just talked about, a list of the top 50 Canadian dividend stocks that are on the Investable Universe that uh, me and Simon both look at, um, and you can get your copy right now. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com. 